Looking for a job isn't easy. It used to be that you could apply at a big name tech company and build a great career for yourself. But times have changed. Many of these companies have gone full woke. And if you aren't the right gender, ethnicity, you don't use pronouns, or if you're not an activist for the preferred cause, then good luck. Why would you risk your career on that? At Red Balloon, we're connecting good employees with top quality companies that value you for your skills and your work ethic, not your social activism score. Employers who post jobs on Red Balloon are focused on creating an enjoyable and productive work culture, free from divisive woke mandates. So if you want to find a serious career path without the nonsense, come to Red Balloon and post your resume today. Because you shouldn't have to choose between your job and your values. That's redballoon.work, where you can find your future. And they've even created what the government themselves call the worship police to make sure that uh, groups don't get out of line and talk about things that they're not supposed to talk about. Hey everybody, Michael Thiessen here, and you are listening to Open Mic, that's me, with Michael Thiessen. And this show is produced by Liberty Coalition Canada in partnership with ChristianWeek.org. Liberty Coalition Canada exists to establish Christ's justice and righteousness and to defend those who stand. And Christian Week exists to provide a practical, balanced, hope-filled perspective on national and global issues. For those of you who have listened often, you will know that we call my show Open Mic because this is just open conversations, uh, open-ended, where obvious, you know, often we're just journeying into interesting topics and open in, in the fact that we're trying to be the most transparent uh, and revealing uh, in our conversation. So today we're having a conversation about a global issue. But before we get to that, let me tell you about two events that are happening this October. So first of all, October 23rd on Monday night at Trinity Bible Chapel in Waterloo, um, we are hosting a recording of Liberty Coalition Canada podcasts live. So we're doing that on Monday, October 23rd at Trinity Bible Chapel and Tuesday, October 24th at Trinity Baptist Church in Burlington, uh, Ontario. And so these events are going to go from 7.30 to 9.30. And again, this is a live recording. We're on one night, we're going to shoot a Liberty Dispatch. On the next night, we're going to shoot a Liberty Lounge. It's going to be a great time live in person with me, Tim Tyso, Andrew DiBartolo, and Matthew Halleck. So the cost will be $25 each. And we are charging in order to just cover our travel costs so all the guys can get there from across the country and over the border. And then we will do some fundraisers to um, build a legal defense fund for those Christians that we are defending in Canada. So that's one event uh, coupled into two nights. Our second event is, is the Spark Leadership Conference. This is happening October 31st through November 1st. So again, a two-day event where we are joining together in South Carolina to platform Canadian stories to illustrate the current evangelistic, legal, and cultural challenges facing the church, both in Canada 
and the United States. So we want to spark the American church into flame as we have Canadian testimonies about walking according to God's word in the context of secular authoritarianism. Tickets are $50 and available at sparkconferences.org. So with all of that administration out of the way, uh, today I am uh, interviewing Pastor Stephen Lloyd. And Stephen pastors uh, in the Narbonne region of southern France. And we are talking today about some of the cultural and legal challenges that are facing pastors such as Stephen in France. Many of you will be following on the news or if you're on your uh, social media feed, you're, you're going to be seeing articles and videos coming out. And it seems like France is on fire. And um, I called up our good friend in Germany, Pastor Tobias, and said, Tobias, is there anybody in France who might be able to help us Christians understand what's going on on the ground in France? And he connected me to uh, Pastor Stephen Lloyd. So, Stephen, thanks for being on the show, and thanks for coming to talk to me today. And thank you for having me, Mike. So, Stephen, why don't you give us a little bit of your uh, background as far as pastoring? How long have you been in France? And um, a little bit about your region. What's it like living on the ground in France? As I've said, it seems like France is on fire. It seems like uh, people are being accosted in the streets. Uh, we're trying to figure out here in North America what news we can and cannot trust and how to interpret that. So why don't you let us know a little bit about what's going on in the ground in France? Okay. Um, my wife and I, with our children, came to France in 1985. We spent eight years in the Paris area. Then we went to Russia for a year, and I helped to create a, a, a seminary in uh, Moscow. Then we went back to the States, and in 1999, we came down to the Narbonne area in the south of France. We've been here uh, ever since. Uh, France is a difficult place for the gospel. When we first came, it was 90 to 95% of the people said they were Roman Catholic, but at the same time, 50% said they were atheist. So <laughs> you don't have to have a PhD in math to know that something doesn't add up. Uh, today, it's less than 50% that even claim to be Catholic, uh, which is closer to the reality. Um, and 10% of the population is Muslim, and about 3% are is Protestant. And evangelicals are about 1% of that you know, in that 3%. So but it's, uh, it's a challenge. Most of the churches are small. And we've just recently, uh, a couple years ago, the government passed a new law, an anti-separatism law, which applies to all religious groups. And uh, supposedly, uh, the motivation behind it was to fight uh, radical Islam. And, and yet it applies to all groups, and they've even created what the government themselves call the worship police to make sure that uh, groups don't get out of line and talk about things that they're not supposed to talk about. Wow. So, you know, there's a lot to unpack there. First of all, um, it, it seems like you've gone through to the same degree what Canada has gone through and what the U.S. looks like it's about to go through. And that's where the niceties or the pretending for mom and dad 
are, are pulled away and no longer the label of, well, I'm a Catholic. And then you, then you investigate a little bit further and there's really just unbelief there or a rejection mm -hmm. of scripture, a rejection of, 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 of the gospel. And so it seems like you, you know, you'd be, you'd be describing a very post-Christian nation right now, rather mm -hmm. than, you know, um, maybe where the U S is right now, where many people would be, would, would be, claiming some type of veneer of Christianity, some type of covering of Christianity. And, uh, and that's been peeled away quite clearly in France before we get to talking about, um, that new, that, that new, uh, regulatory body, Stephen, or that new, um, mm -hmm. uh, ministry of the government. Basically I, it looks to me like France is on fire. So, can you explain a little bit of like we're seeing videos of two very specific things. We're seeing mm -hmm. videos of um, burnings and, and, and ammunition being shot in the street. Mm -hmm. And we are seeing, uh, uh, you know, people being accosted in the street from what it would look like to be either legal immigrants or illegal immigrants. Um, can you maybe talk about those two issues? Mm -hmm. Who, what's sure. going on with the rioting first? Mm -hmm. And then let's talk about this mass immigration and, and how you're seeing it. Well, there has been mass immigration going on for a long time in France before uh, all the things that you've been hearing about in the media. Uh, I saw an article just today saying that um, most of the problems, most of the rioting was not caused by new immigrants, but 90% uh, of these people were actually born in France. So these are second, sometimes even third generation, but they haven't really assimilated into the French culture. And many of them, like in some of the larger cities in, in the States and in Canada, I'm sure as well, you have uh, ethnic communities where people tend to, to gather together uh, with other people of similar backgrounds. And in a lot of those places, there is a lot of unrest and has been for years. Uh, burning cars is, is kind of a pastime <laughs> in some of those places. You have a lot of no-go zones for the police. Um, but the Sorry, Stephen, did you say yeah, no-go zones for the police? I, yeah, I because again, as a listener, I thought you were going to say you have a lot of no-go zones for us citizens. You just said no-go zones for the police. So that, that means you for sure, plus the police. Yeah. No, the police just let them do what they want to do in their areas. Um, so yeah, the, the most recent rioting that most people have heard about uh, started when a, a young man was, was shot by the police. Uh, he was trying to escape. He, uh, they, the police were, were talking to him and trying to get information. And he tried to pull away and almost ran over a policeman and, and was shot. Uh, the policeman claims that it was accidental, that he was actually aiming for something else, uh, but hit the young man and, and was killed. And that uh, kind of set things off. But so often uh, here in France, um, you know, people are looking for an excuse. The, the, these type of things happen for other reasons at other times. And, and that it just spread throughout much of France. We live out in the country. We didn't see anything 
in our immediate area. But uh, I was talking with one of the people in our church that lives uh, in Narbonne, and they, it's actually a British couple that have been taking uh, French lessons. And they went to the building where they have their French lessons and discovered that uh, the window had been smashed and there was a car burning there. Um, and frankly, I did not expect it to come to, to a town the size of Narbonne. Uh, but apparently the French government actually had a meeting with, uh, with 220 mayors from around France. So, you know, I, I think a lot of it has been immigrants. A lot of it has been younger people. Um, you know, it, how much any of it is, is tied in with pent up frustrations and emotions from all of the COVID lockdowns and all of that type of thing. Who knows? It's interesting that you, that you bring into the idea of the lockdowns. It's, 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 um, how severe were the lockdowns for you in France? Um, in many ways, at least as, as a Christian, as a church, it was not nearly as strict as, as what you had in Canada or in some parts of, of the United States. Um, all the churches were closed during the first lockdown. But after that, um, the government um, decided to allow the churches to remain open, which was helpful. We did have, there was an additional lockdown at one point where uh, people were not allowed to go outside of their department. Um, I don't know how you have things, we have your provinces, I think, in, in Canada, but the departments are uh, kind of like a state or, or a province in terms of administration, but they're more the size of counties in, in the United States. And, and so we have some people in our church that lived in a different uh, department, and so they weren't able to come. Hey, friends, I'm happy to talk to you again about Rocklink Investment Partners. With inflation at 40-year highs and economic stagflation on the horizon, growing and preserving your hard-earned capital is of utmost importance. I know it's on my mind. And that's why Rocklink Investment Partners are so essential because they understand the investment challenges of today. Rocklink is an independent investment management firm focused solely on creating portfolios of high quality businesses anchored to the time tested principles of value investing. And they do not shy away from essential businesses that do not meet the World Economics Forum's dis definition of ESG. So email rocklink at info at rocklink.com, that's rocklink with a C, or visit them at www.rocklink.com, and again, that's link with a C. And, and that would, I assume, affect the cities um, more than the rural areas, like in the sense of that idea of a pent-up frustration. Yeah, um, people in the cities, uh, you know, they were allowed to go out. I can't remember if it was one hour or two hours a day, and they weren't supposed to go more than a, a few kilometers from their home. Uh, again, living out in the countryside, we were able to walk around our property anytime we wanted to. And so uh, it wasn't that difficult for us personally. Right. Well, Stephen, I want to talk a little bit about the concept of immigration in, in France, because I think a lot of Christians are confused around that. Even when we start talking about, um, 
mass immigration or illegal immigration. I, th I think there's a, a tension in our Christian worldview of wanting to care for people in need, um, but then also what, what do we do with this idea of assimilation? And so I, I want to read a few scriptures for everyone to give some clarity so that people understand this is not a racist conversation. This is a moral conversation. You know, we are all we are all one human race. Uh, we do have eth different ethnic backgrounds because of where we've lived. But in Canada and in the United States, if you're an immigrant, you usually come, you immigrate to a city. You usually uh, are in that city until you can work up the uh, uh, the bank account. You, you can work up the... Uh, the assets to be able to then move out of the city. And so typically the immigrant story is immigrate to a city of another country, uh, move to the suburbs, and then from the suburbs, move to the country. Uh, it's a very normal habit. You see it within uh, in Canada. You've seen it within the Italian communities, the Portuguese communities, the Asian communities, the Indian communities. Uh, you, you, in the United States, you, you see this in, in uh in the black communities and the Latino communities. And so this concept of, of people coming and, uh, you know, because the country is welcoming immigrants and, and, you know, managing people who want to move about is not abnormal to scripture. And it's not abnormal to the, to the human experience. What we do with it is very important. So I just want to read two scriptures. Um, one scripture from Exodus twelve forty eight. um, saying an alien living among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all of the males of his household circumcised, and then he may partake like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat of it. And then we go to Exodus twelve forty nine. The same law applies to the native born and to the alien living among you. We, we go further on in the book of Exodus, where we see in Exodus 23 about our, our Sabbath rest. We see the law of six days, uh, do your work, but on the seventh day, do not work so that your ox or your donkey may rest and the slave born in your household uh, and the alien as well may be refreshed. We go on in the rest of uh, in uh, later on in uh, in in the laws of the Lord uh, pertaining to the alien and what we see is uh, we see a commands not to oppress, do not oppress or mistreat the alien, for you were aliens in Egypt. And so we have this balance of this comment of uh, sojourners or immigrants are going to come into your land. And in Israel, uh, which again, uh, Deuteronomy 4, Israel was, uh, God gave these laws to Israel that the rest of the nations might see these beautiful laws and, and learn how to organize a society and, and might learn about the Lord God and how near he was to his people. So they were to be an example to the nations. And so when it comes down to this idea of immigration, there's two very clear examples in scripture. The first is uh, one law for all. So that's where when Stephen mentioned very normally, this idea of assimilation is that when you have a, when you have a country governed by a law, those who decide to live in that country are to live by that same law. And of course, as Christians, going back to the concept I just explained about we, uh, the Western nations have gone back to scripture most often in order to get their fundamental laws. 
um, an alien is supposed to come in and assimilate to that law. So if you come from a country where stealing is fine and you come into a place like France that would have uh, that would have uh, codified law against theft, then one law for all. So the Muslims don't get to come in and declare Sharia law. The Muslims should assimilate into a country. Then the second thing is, is that you're not supposed to abuse them just because they're vulnerable. And so these two rules have protected immigrants and focused and directed immigrants for years and years and years. And it is now a secular mindset, a rejection of God's biblical law in the Western world that has left people confused with what do we do? And so that's why when Stephen's talking here about and describing no-go zones, that's because – and then you look at the United States during the uh, Black Lives Matter uh, riots where there were no-go no, no police zones. That's because the government had walked away from these two basic principles that we see in Scripture. And so as we have this conversation about immigration, it's very important that a Western government that wants to uphold a, a biblical framework of law – uh, at it in its fundamental freedoms that it offers brings in aliens at a rate that they can be assimilated and uh, and and brought under the rule of law and brought in at a rate whereby they can then be taken care of in the sense of you're not overwhelming or flooding the the economy the market with them uh, Stephen as a pastor in France. Number one, uh, did you have anything to add to that biblical description of treating immigrants? And then number two, how do you see in France this this uh, this moving away from scripture on these issues is actually affecting your life on the ground? Mm -hmm. Well, of course, uh, here in France, I am an immigrant, uh, a legal a legal immigrant, and every country that I'm aware of you know, has forms for legal immigration. And those procedures uh, may be imperfect. I don't know. But, uh, you know, they have processes in place to help to assimilate people, to bring them in. Um, you know, as far as the immigration policies in France, that's the French government's responsibility and the French people. So I don't have a position on, on what they do. And in fact, while France does have some specific immigration policies, uh, so much these days is actually dictated by the European Union, uh, which is upsetting for many people in various European countries because they feel like even though they do elect members to the European Parliament, uh, it's so far removed, they, they feel like they don't have any connection with uh, things that are being forced upon them. So, but no, I think, I think those biblical principles are correct. And I think as Christians, um, you know, as, as citizens of our individual countries, we can have our positions on immigration, especially illegal immigration, and we can contact our representatives and, and inform them of that. But at the same time, as Christians, you know, we have to, to work with what others create and, and, and give to us. And, and so, I, you know, we need to do the best we can to reach out to the people who are there. Um, 
Stephen, on that point, on that point, when we see lawlessness creep up, um, it does that make the churches like, so would the church go into these no go zones? Because we don't have any of those around us. I I know there are evangelical churches in those uh, general areas, you know, whether there are any in those specific neighborhoods, uh, I, I don't know. But, but there, it, are th- there are those who would make an effort. I, I, I know that I could be guilty of leading the witness here, but what I think what I'm trying to get at is it would make it sincerely dangerous for Christians to do gospel work in those no-gones because of the lawlessness that is there. Would yeah, that be a correct observation? That and, and simply the fact that it's... Um, there are some types of evangelism that are difficult to do in France. Um, and a lot of the immigrants are in the, the really big cities, as you pointed out, or in the suburbs of those big cities, which are themselves big cities. Um, I mean, the, the situation in, in much of Europe is gonna be different from Canada or the United States, where you have a lot uh, around your big cities, you may have a lot of open land, where the city can continue to grow. I mean, Paris, years and years, I mean, centuries ago, they, they reached their limits. And when you leave Paris, you're in another major city. Um, so, uh, but there are people who do what they can to reach out. There are those who try to help uh, and there are those who try to, to evangelize. But it's, it's a difficult thing. I, I think that the, the, the thought I'm trying to connect is we Christians have a sincere heart to say, I'll go anywhere and I'll do anything for the gospel. Mm -hmm. But if the government is not upholding the rule of law, that actually changes that the game, the the game is much Mm -hmm. like the, the situation is much more volatile. And I, I'm hoping either to be corrected or to use France as an example of look Christian, if you don't understand the importance of the rule of law and the importance, like like you just said, people uh, electing representative government who don't feel like they're being represented. So the EU makes a decision that really affects people's living on the ground. Your, your, mm-hmm. The danger of your life and the, the danger of your property, the danger to your property, really that type of stuff increases when we see – uh, this flexing of the muscles of these either like you, you know, third generation immigrants now mm-hmm. who not because of their ethnicity, but because of their lawlessness. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not everybody in those right. ethnicities, um, you know, and, and a lot of it is the frustration. Um, I, I do think that the French government really does want these people to assimilate. I don't think they understand um, religion very well at all, whether it's Christianity or Islam or anything else, because they expect people to be French first and Christian or Muslim or Hindu or whatever else second. And people who are committed to a faith, it, it just doesn't work that way. And particularly when you say French first, you mean secularist first. Yes. In the sense of they, they expect you to live like a secularist, like like 
like the God, like the government is God and the government, you know, like, like, like the, our ultimate answer is humanism. Like, you know, like they, they want you to live like a, Hey, humans are getting better. Uh, the government has your back. You're a French, you, you're, you're French. And mm-hmm. then you can go to your mosque to get your religious dose inside that area or you can go to your church to kneel on your knees and pray and that might you know it's it's like going to the gym and working out you can you can have a few moments over there but then come back and 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 live like a french secularist yes you're supposed to keep your faith in a drawer and pull it out on sunday or whatever day your group meets right and then you put it back in the drawer so talking about taking your religion out of the drawer um, you mentioned that there is a 10% Muslim population. Now, my wife and I have lived in Mozambique, Africa, where, um, there was a significant Muslim population as well. Again, as Christians, we have a heart to reach, uh, people who have been deceived by Islam. Um, but is this, are the, are the riots, um, are the riots a flexing of the muscles of Islamic immigrants who would now be saying it's it's time for the, the French secularism to be put to the side and it is time for um, you know, a Muslim leadership to rise up? For some people, yes. Uh, an interesting side note, and then I'll come back to that. But uh, most of your Protestants and most of the evangelicals are very, very in favor of the secularist society. Because what that meant was that the Catholics aren't in charge, historically. And at its best, and there are many, many places in France where it is lived out this way, at its best, um, what they call laicite, which is secularism, is is pretty much neutral but not everywhere as you can imagine uh we had a a a couple whose primary ministry is with uh, muslims and who were looking at uh, settling down in narbonne because they had been reading on arabic sites that narbonne had been chosen uh, as the capital of the new uh, southern european caliphate and um, and I did see a video at the near the beginning of the riots uh, of someone who was saying, you know, um, the French colonized us for for centuries. Now it's our turn, and we're going to take over France. But again, that's not everybody's attitude. It's interesting, Stephen. One of the things that we talk about a lot around Liberty Coalition Canada, and I'm I'm a fellow at the Ezra Institute, and we are in new ground here. It is this concept of neutral, and um, we we would pretty passionately say there there is no there is no real neutrality. And I would agree with that. Yeah. And so what you're, again, it's one of these moments, right? Where you said, you know, you asked a bunch of Frenchmen, are you Catholic? And they go, yes. And then you look and go, no, they're like, most of you are not at all. And then finally later on, that's, 
you know, that the mask was taken off and it's like, yes, now they're, now they're telling you more of the truth of their actual worldview. And the same thing works with neutrality. No one's truly neutral, Mm -hmm. but it depends on which space you're in and how much you pretend to be neutral. The secularists of course want to pretend to be neutral when, when they're really, their neutrality looks like, you know, uh, Hey Christians stay in your, stay in your drawer. And then we've got the Muslims in the other drawer. And then we've got the, uh, the Catholics in another drawer. Um, and so in this idea of, of navigating that, um, again, I'm trying to see the actual changes on the ground. So when you say, you know, most evangelicals would have preferred a, not a, and again, we, the concept of the separation of church and state mm-hmm. is simply that, the state is not to regulate the offices of the church. Yes. It's never really been that um, the church does not influence the state and then the state does not reflect the principles of God's word because the church has, mm-hmm. has affected it. So with that being said and saying things like, you know, uh, Nabon has been marked to be a, uh, to be a caliphate. Can you explain number number one? Can you explain that word caliphate to many of our listeners who may not be familiar with Islam and what that would actually mean if Nirban was chosen as a city like that? Yeah, I probably can't do justice to that for you. I'm sorry. But, okay. uh, you know, it, it's just the way that they subdivide in, into to areas of, of uh, authority and who's in charge. One of the things... Um, that I've discovered here, because we do have a large uh, Muslim population in France and and in the Narbonne area. Um, And for a couple of years, I participated in an interreligious group just to find out what was going on. And because the government tends to be somewhat anti-religion, period, you know, sometimes we need to work together with people we wouldn't normally work together with to try and get freedom for everybody. And, uh, but what we discovered in that group, it was very difficult to work with the Muslim community because every Imam, which is like their pastor is a law unto himself. Uh, yes, you, you do have different, you know, the Sunnis and the Shiites and stuff like that. But even if they're part of the same basic family of Islam, if they're from Algeria or from Turkey, they don't have anything to do with each other. Um, and, and, and so you're dealing with a lot of, of small groups. And of course, the, the people who are talking about establishing a caliphate, they are more or less the uh, extreme Islam who is wanting to impose uh, their faith on everybody else and either force you to convert or force you to pay uh, the tax as a as an unbeliever. Right. And so, so, you know, if, if Islam does establish a political regional strength where under that, you know, in the, in that, in that regional authority, there would be imams underneath that. If they, in, if they specifically go and do that, that changes the, the reality on the ground in France 
if they are left to do that, if, if they're, if they are a law in, uh, in and of themselves. And, um, I know that that's very concerning for, for everyone. Are, are those, you know, are you, I, I feel is the time, is the time near? Is the time far? Is it something that you and your wife talk about? Is it, um, again, and it's partly just because we're living in a new world. We're, we're, and when I say a new world, I mean, we're just, the, the, yeah. the, the times seem to be changing. The political shifts seem to be happening so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that the left, and when I say the left, secularists love Islam because they get to pull the minority card. They get to pull the immigrant card. They get to go to the they get to go to the conservatives and said, say you're racists and we're the ones who are for the people. But like you said, they have no understanding of, of religion and, and, and mm-hmm. for that matter, Christianity, but even more so Islam, which operates in multiple language and multiple regions, like you said, is very tribalistic and um, has its own authority structure. Do you see things changing quickly on the ground in France uh, to the point that it's a concern for you and your family. And it's okay if you say no. I, I'm, I'm not trying yeah. to lead you too far down here. At this point, I would, I mean, we do talk about those things from time to time. Um, at, at this point, I would say that we're more concerned about the, the Great Reset than, than we are about the Islamization of, of France. Um, wow. I think, you know, but I, I think at some point those two things are are going to be hitting each other. Wow. So first of all, Stephen, I would have never imagined you saying that. And I, and I, and I'm, I'm, I'm smiling and chuckling because I just, so number one, you need to know, like we, we watch the world economic forum. We understand mm-hmm. much of the, uh, uh, the world narratives are coming from that think that thinking group. The the world initiatives are coming from that that thinking group. So um, I am not smiling because I I think you've got a tin hat a tinfoil hat on and uh, and you just said something. But I think that's going to shock many of our listeners that you'd actually m- be more concerned with the autor- the authoritarian secularists still in France than with the Muslims. I think that's an outrageous statement. Well, we, uh, you know, God made it possible for us to purchase this property out in the country. We actually have two houses on the property. We only, since we've been in Narbonne, we've only gotten a half salary, but we rent the the guest house out to people on vacation. And that provides uh, the rest of our income that enables us to stay here. And we just uh, received word um, a month or two ago that the government is discussing laws. Well, right now, if you sell a property, you have to get uh, an energy evaluation. Um, And, you know, it goes from A to G. And they're saying now that if it is um, F or G, you're not going to be able to rent it anymore unless you upgrade it and upgrades can cost tens of thousands of of euros. And we've also heard that they're 
discussing the possibility of passing a similar law and telling people that if they don't upgrade their properties, they can't live in their own home. Wow. And that's all part of, of, of what's coming out of, of Davos. And the governments are, are putting these things into place. And Stephen, can you just describe again, is that coming from the EU, which then binds France, or is that coming out of fr French government or both? Both. Both. Okay. Uh, what, now this is just an observation, and it may not be totally accurate, but my observation is that when uh, a national government thinks that they can get away with something, they'll pass the law themselves. If they think that they're going to get a lot of protests, they'll ask the EU to pass it for them. And then they turn around to the people and say, oh, we're sorry. We, we don't have any choice. We have to do this. You know, I have read this scripture so many times, Stephen, you're going to, this is, um, you are going to, this is my, this has been my, this has been my COVID uh, scripture. This is my EU scripture. This is my globalist scripture for the time that is Ecclesiastes 5, 8. You see the poor oppressed in a district. Uh, in this case, you could substitute individuals, homeowners and justice and rights denied living in your own home. Do not be surprised at such things for one official is eyed by a higher one and over them, both are others higher still the increase of the land is taken by all and the king himself, uh, but a worthy king is dedicated to the fields. And so the, you're, you're absolutely right. When, 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 when government gets too big and there's too many tiers, everybody gets to say, well, it's the guy up there's fault. And everybody up there gets to say, well, it's the guy down there's fault there. There's zero mm -hmm. accountability because you can pass the buck up or down and the citizens don't know who to hold accountable. And so it, this is partly why we've seen um, the, the argument from scripture for local governments and, and, and smaller governments. But uh, Stephen, when you talk about that, when, when you talk about, so again, that's a lot of climate change stuff. That's a lot of emission stuff. That's a lot of, mm -hmm. um, uh, that's a lot of, a lot of uh, targets for reducing, you know, our human carbon imprint. Um, are you seeing, are, are you seeing that those are the laws that are going to most affect individual French citizens? I think so. If, if they have their way. Okay. Again, so let's, it remains to be seen what the French people will put up with. Well, actually on that point, we saw, was it true that the French people riot, uh, um, peacefully protested or protested en masse when it came to the, to the vaccine um, policies? Like that was something that it seemed pretty obvious on social media. Or was there a mass reaction to uh, uh, vaccine requirements? Most of it was with regard to the vaccine passport. Yes. Um, and there you had people who had chosen to get vaccinated who were protesting along with the unvaccinated. Because and they so they were, like they were as big as they looked here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
So maybe the people will, maybe the people of France will stand up and, and uh, protest against not being able to live in your own home unless you have it upgraded. We, we will see. Uh, the, there's a new law that just went into effect today with regard to censorship of social media. And uh, Macron, the President Macron, just uh, recently said that as a uh, response to the riots that we were talking about, that uh, France needs to be re-civilized. And part of doing that, uh, he said that we need to change uh, screens, what's allowed to be on screens, referring wow. to social media. Do you know that? So, so I, man, there's so many things to ask as a follow up to that. Number one, do you know the specific content of that law? And maybe not reading it verbatim, but what what online has changed? Like in in Canada, they 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 recently changed a number of laws as far as payment structures that social mm -hmm. media would have to pay if you were sharing news over social media. So companies just remove news links from their social media accounts, and then there's. Um, there's been further uh, censorship uh, when it comes down to um, uh, Bill C-11 and Bill C-18. Do you know what was specifically changed on the screens in France? Well, it, most of it refers to groups like uh, Facebook, Google, and their derivatives and the requirement of the government that they uh, police that those things better. And then, you know, any time the government specifically asks them to remove something, they, they need to do it right away. Wow. And so that is similar to the bill that was passed in Canada about um, the regulatory body uh, treating, treating social media more like broadcasting stations and that, that social media and streaming platforms would have to adhere uh, to broadcasting standards, which allowed the observation and regulation of Canadian uh, or, or platforms that are airing in Canada uh, to, to be seen. That is, seems very, very similar. We're going to have to, I'm going to get the guys over at Liberty Dispatch to dig in about that similarity. Thank you for that little bit of yeah, information. We haven't been able to, to view uh, videos on Rumble for months now. Now, really? that was actually that was Rumble's choice because they refused to comply with the censorship things that the French government was asking of them, which We're is what's happening in Canada, with VPN. which is what happens in Canada. So this is exactly okay. what's happening. They're changing the law. So the streaming companies are saying, well, then we're just not operating in your country. And the. That is positive uh, that, that these companies are not just going along with it. But what's mm -hmm. negative is what you said as an end user, the, the goal has been achieved. You're not. So folks, most of our video, all YouTube has canceled Liberty Coalition Canada so m many times. Rumble is the only place where we post our videos. And Stephen just mm -hmm. told you that in France, he can't see our videos over Rumble uh, because of the French government. So, man, Unless these... you have a VPN. Right. And, and then you get access. Right. Which, uh, which will 
you know, which is a creative way to get around something that the government is is trying to specifically oppose, but it doesn't change the matter that the government is imposing these censorship laws that are in France are very similar to the ones in Canada. I wonder if they're talking. And uh, folks, this is again really important stuff. Uh, Stephen, I want to I want to take us really quickly though to this separatist law that or separatism law that you mentioned at the very beginning of the show because this is important for Christians. So, um, first of all, everybody, just make note that nothing is neutral. So st when Stephen said many evangelicals don't mind the secularism of the government and they kind of they perceive it as neutrality what what neutrality is when, when neutrality just kind of takes away its mask and you see the secularism behind it you're left with these type of separatism laws so walk us through this law that is now affecting your church Stephen. well to be fair it it doesn't affect us a lot at the this immediate moment it's the potential that is concerning, and that will depend on on who happens to be in the government at any given time. But uh, in the past, uh, as a church, we had to declare our existence to the government once. And as a church, we have the right to give out tax receipts for, for gifts to the church. But now we have to declare ourselves to the government once every five years. And we had to send them a bunch of documents, which they they have two months to look over those documents. And if we don't hear back, then that means we can keep functioning. But if they don't like something, they can come back and say, uh, we're not going to recognize you as a church unless you change this. We also, in order to really be a church, we have to have two organizations because for the French government, the only purpose of a church is to have a worship service. So if you are gonna help the poor, if you are gonna do evangelism, if you are gonna have a, a youth ministry, oh, well, that's not what a church exists for in France. So you have to have another organization to cover all of that type of thing. Um, and, and you can't do that informally. If you were if you were to if you were, if you were to do it informally without registering, would there be consequences? Yeah, you can, you can do that. But the the problem if if you need um, if you need money to do things, and you want to have a bank account, you have to have a registered association in order to open a bank account. That that's that's the only real thing. There are a number of independent home churches and things like that that just keep their own funds, you know, they take up their offerings and keep their own funds and, and don't have a bank account. Uh, but it limits what you can do. And if you want to have uh, an evangelistic activity and, and ask the uh, local government for a meeting room to hold that, you can't do that unless you're a registered association. So So, num so number one, it went from a one-time declaration and, and receipt of authority to give tax receipts to that's every five years. Mm -hmm. Are there any requirements? Like, are there any, you know, in Canada, for example, a number of years ago, um, the government put uh, 
strings to um, to some publicly accessible internship money, and and the 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 the, the government said, look, if, if any churches want this, they have to they have to sign this statement that is both pro homosexuality and and pro abortion. Um, and are, are there any strings attached like that with the government right now? Uh, you know, I think that there are some government funds that may be available in certain specific situations, but it's, it's very difficult for a church, for an evangelical church. Uh, if you want to build a mosque, yes, you can get government funds, but if you want to build an evangelical church, you can't. Uh, the, the law regulating uh, churches and other religious groups goes back to 1905. And this separatism law is an updating of that. But prior to 1905, at, at the time of the French Revolution, the government confiscated all church properties, both uh, Catholic church and Protestant church. And so any church buildings that were built before then actually belong to the government. There is a, a mainstream Protestant church, Reformed church, historic Reformed church in Narbonne. And if anything, any work needs to be done on their building, the taxpayers pay for it. But anything after 1905, you're basically on your own. Where the strings do come uh, with this new law is that if you receive more than I think nine or 10,000 euros from outside the country, uh, which will primarily affect uh, evangelical churches that are working with a missionary organization or that have a partnership with, with somebody. But if you make more than that, then you are required every year to have a certified public accountant do some kind of, uh, of, accounting report that most of the rest of us don't have to do. And that, that costs anywhere from three to 6,000 euros. Um, and I mean, a church like ours, we have a budget of about 21,000 euros a year. Uh, so, but you know, that hasn't affected us yet. And with that, if they don't like what you're doing, or if they have questions about where it came from, they can tell you, you have to give the money back. And and this type of regulation, uh, like I assume they can say, hey, you know what, you're no longer an association, which means you're you're you know give the money back, close your bank account. Yeah, um, they can, they can. Yeah, and <clears throat> folks, just so you know, like this type of like you know charitable law exists so that people don't just embezzle money, right? Like charitable law, mm -hmm. it does it like there there is. There are laws that are appropriate that govern that govern all of the nation, and would that would include organizations that claim to be charitable. Because you know somebody can lie and embezzle money. You know, we went and spent two hundred thousand dollars on that new fountain in the middle of the in the middle of, of the of the foyer, and or we spent you know a, a million dollars on that solid gold altar, and you know if it wasn't spent there. And it and it was just paid off to some personal person like that. There are ways that people embezzle money, and so, so charitable sure. law is is fine. But mm -hmm. what we're talking about and what Stephen's talking about is very severe 
regulatory, um, authoritarian oversight. And it's increasing. Um, and for those of us who live in the Christian church, Stephen, you'll know this, but for those of us who live in the Christian church, the, the offerings given to the Lord, they're, they're a sacred thing. You know, the vast majority of churches are going to treat that money with higher respect and, and with greater care than any government would ever, you know, would ever spend money. You know, we're hearing reports about our governor general spending millions of dollars in travel in, in one year of, uh, of her being in, in position. You know, the, the government is notorious for self-spending upon themselves where, where you look historically that the, the church is giving to the Lord and the church is careful to take care of the needs of the church family the needs of, 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 of the community. And, you know, we build hospitals and stuff with our tithes and offerings. So, so this type of oversight, and again, Stephen, with that statement that you were concerned about the WEF, man, this is, this is something that, again, I think that we Christians normalize when if you're an outsider listening, you go, wow, Stephen, that is a lot of work just to maintain yourself as an organization. And like you said, in order to do it, public evangelism, you actually have to be registered as an organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So explain to me this uh, worship police. How, how do you say it in, Fran in, in French? La police des cultes. And uh, what is a worship police? Now, I, I know what a worship police is from the pandemic and, and the stuff that we went through, but that, that was a, you know, that was not a separate department. Again, you know, they're claiming that this was all put in place as a way of fighting radical, not Islam, but radical Islam. Okay. Uh, but since it applies to everybody, you know, it all depends. At the moment, they're not closing down churches or anything like that. It's just a concern of what could happen because they are uh, seeming to be more and more interested not only in what we do, but in what we believe and what we say. Uh, we're not supposed to talk about politics, which in general is fine, except that politics, everything is political now. And, you know, things that used to be um, the purview of the church, ethics and morality, all of that is political these days. And so it's, it's difficult to totally avoid politics has always been the prophet of the nation the, the church has all if the church has not been uh, directly empowered by the government uh to teach you know it, it, to teach morality and ethics it has always been the informal partner and the and and often the the troublemaker prophet saying to government, hey, this is the word of the Lord, walk in this way. And so again, it's a bit of a false dichotomy. Yes, we can avoid being partisan. I, you can avoid getting up in your church and saying, vote for this party, but you can't avoid uh, you can't avoid all of the governmental issues that they're dealing with because those issues are the very application of mm -hmm. scripture in that sphere. Um, so when it comes to these worship police, 
I also also want to say it's an error of categories. So, Stephen, you've said multiple times they're basically treating everybody like radical Islam, and even that in my in my in my in my framework is a very kind is a very kind thing to say. Like Islam is a Islam is a religion of conquer. Islam is a cult of Christianity in the sense that it is it takes. It takes uh, teaching from the Old Testament, teaching from the New Testament, twists it, and creates its 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 own cult, and it is a cult of domination. So, uh, the radicals may be just more honest Muslims, and then mm-hmm. the moderates might be more secular Muslims. But it it is a major error for any government to look at Christians and Muslims with the exact same through the exact same lens. And what you're saying is that's what they're doing to you. Uh, yeah, effectively. And it, basically, it is an attitude of suspicion on the part of the government. Where do you think they get that attitude of suspicion for the church? Is Does it go back to your say, statement that they just don't understand religion? I, I think in large part. And the fact that I think that they're wanting to impose things on people that uh, that Christians, at least some Christians, may uh, not want to go along with and may fight. Yeah, that they have their own political will behind this yeah. for their own gain. And, and, you know, evangelicals have basically no political clout. Uh, we do have a, a national uh, evangelical group that does have contacts with the minister of the interior who is in charge of, of religious groups. And they try to reach out to some of the politicians so that they are aware of evangelical positions on certain issues and laws that are up. And at that level, they're able to, to make political comments for, you know, for input. And after that, then the politicians do what they want to do. Right. So um, I really appreciate this time, and Stephen, I, I, think, I think we've succeeded to give people a picture of what's life on the ground uh, in, 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 in where you're living and, and what you're going through. Um, on one hand, I have lived a missionary experience. I have uh, li- lived in Mozambique with my wife where we um, – we're working to establish a seminary. Um, love the work of the gospel uh, in the sense that we, we are men of the word. We are men of, of the gospel, taking that to the nation. Um, what would be your encouragement to the French church? Like as you see the climate change happening, what you know, what are you, what are you pastors on the ground? How are you encouraging the church? Um, Do you sense that the church is falling into like critical race theory, the way that we're seeing in Canada and North America, or is that something that the church is being very cautious about? Um, Yeah. What would be your word for, you know, for, for Christians the who are historic, seeing all those changes. Yeah, the, the historic Reformed Church, the 
mainline Protestant church is falling into all of that. I think they voted 99 to 1 uh, to approve uh, homosexual unions, for example. Uh, but evangelicals seem, for the most part, to be avoiding a lot of those things. There is, uh, here in France, there is um, one evangelical organization that has to do with ecology, and there's only one. And that particular one has bought in fully uh, to the climate change, man-made global warming. Uh, and that is a concern. I mean, they're free to have their opinion. That does not bother me at all. But I don't think that represents all of evangelical Christianity. And I, you know, I think it's a shame that there isn't another uh, group out there presenting a, a different perspective. And so, would you get the sense that there, there is division in the church? Um, that this is a shaking, a time of shaking for the, for the, for the church itself as it goes through these things. And I'll, I will give, you know, I'll close things down after this. I'll give you, I'll give you this last description and, and then I'll close things down. Um, you know, what would be your word for that church as you look at, you know, the world economic forum trying to have their way and um, those type of things. Uh, you know, I think there is, Real, I think there has been some division as a result of everything that happened with COVID. There, fairly early on, well, actually, one of the first COVID outbreaks in France was at uh, an evangelical uh, big gathering. And so early on, French people in general were upset with Protestant evangelical Christians because they blamed COVID on them. And early on, there was a Protestant evangelical ethics commission that put out uh, a, a short letter uh, entitled, For the Love of God and Your Neighbor, Get Vaccinated. And again, I don't have any problem with their having their opinion on it, um, but the way it was written came across to many people as if you don't get vaccinated, then you don't love God and you don't love your neighbor. Um, and there were churches that refused to let people attend services if they weren't vaccinated. And, and that has been a real concern. I want to, I want to remind our listeners, as you say that, Stephen, just because the backdrop is the World Economic Forum, the World Health mm -hmm. Organization, the United Nations. And so it is one thing for a, a, an ethics commission to say, uh, to do research and say, you know, we've researched the production of this vaccine and ethically it looks to be uh, a normal way that a vaccine is produced. And here is all of the information about, so it was, it was a, it was a, a complete um, abandonment of the historical readings of love thy neighbor applied to medical sciences. And so like, again, as we frame this conversation, instead of saying we have gone and done the research and ethically 
we believe this vaccine is a, you know, people are well informed about it. People fully understand the risks, you know, here are all the studies. This has been a rigorous process that meets ethical standards. That's what a church and an ethics commission could be called to. Sure. To say, go out for the greater good and just get vaccinated is simply, um, that is, that is the statement of a socialist totalitarian that, that, that is not biblical ethics at all. And so again, even Stephen, I think you're, uh, you're kind and you're generous to individuals, as you say, that it's okay for them to have their opinion, but people need to understand that with the backdrop of the world economic forum saying, we want to change humanity for good. We want to, uh, we've seen people say we want to reduce populations. We, we, you know, we are the humanity is the problem on this planet. We are the issue to then rush out in that context and say, misapply scripture. People have to understand the the massive category changes and the massive departure from a historical understanding of what ethics even is that took place. And I think that that is an important thing for us to end upon that as times change, we Christians have to slow down and relook at um, uh, what, in what ways did we cautiously and carefully apply the word of God to society that allowed us to even develop these different types of, of groups that would, that would comment on a, a citizen's private life. So, um, Stephen, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, our, everybody, what you need to do, what you need to know is I really enjoy speaking to Christians on the ground and trying to get their perspective because we can trust our brothers and sisters from around the world to say, Hey, look at, this is what's really happening. And, and, and sometimes you can't trust outside, uh, voices and, uh, we're not, we're not trying to be too, uh, too, um, in too much of an echo chamber here, but the fact that Stephen is on the ground, he he's a brother in Christ, and he's just telling you things that he's seeing allows us to understand these things as they're moving around. So thank you for helping us understanding France today, Stephen. Real pleasure. We, uh, we're blessed to have you on the show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Share the video with uh, lots of your friends and family and give us a five-star rating wherever you get your download podcasts. And apparently you can still do that in Canada via Rumble, but you can't do that in France. Godspeed. <laughs>